today. We're in 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. It will be up on the screen. It's in the Bibles in front of you, so I encourage you to open that up in just a few moments. Today, the topic of our passage is suffering. And I want to ask you, what is your theology of suffering? And saying you don't like it doesn't count. There are reasons humans have decided that suffering exists. It's been said suffering happens because God is not just and not good and doesn't care. Others are of the opinion that humans deserve suffering because of our terrible choices. Suffering is a consequence of all that is wrong with us, people say. Others might say it's a direct result of evil and the selfish ambitions of others. Still others say that suffering has to do with a freedom from living in a broken world. Others say, hmm, yeah, well, some of the circumstances we call suffering are just accidents or bad luck. Some Christians say that all suffering is God's will, and not only does he allow it, he engineers it. Still others have very little opinion about it, saying, well, the world is just messed up. Deal with it. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. They may be the ones who deny their suffering and downplay the true pain around them and in the world. And yet others say, well, what Americans deal with isn't really suffering compared to the rest of the world, where poverty, abuse, and persecution for the faith is rampant, saying we don't have anything to suffer about. Perhaps suffering is a bit of all these things. And it's a difficult subject to get our minds around because sometimes we don't exactly know, do we? We just know that suffering is heartbreaking and our souls barely can stand the pain of it. All of us are touched by grief and great sadness and I can't measure your suffering against mine, nor should I condemn you for how you feel about the sorrow you have encountered. Certainly, our theology of suffering is connected to our relationship with it. Just as we have a relationship with the tangible and the intangible, like money or food or time, we have a relationship with suffering. And sometimes our fear around it or our ideas around it compel us to act. We who want a good life free from harm or sorrow will sometimes do all we can to keep difficulties away the difficulties which inevitably will come. Sometimes we're willing to pay a lot of money or go to extraordinary lengths, even if they don't make sense or in the end cause more harm if we think we can keep suffering from ourselves or those we love. And a lot of this might be based on how our parents dealt with it or how hard or easy our life has been or our culture or where we are in our maturity in Christ. Maybe it's based on how much we've already suffered. Suffering is a main theme of Peter, especially suffering as Christians. And so today, I want you to notice Peter's theology of it. Because all of us need to have sound thoughts about God and about suffering because eternity is looming Darkness is closing around us. We have to know what we believe before it happens. Or as it's happening. Or because it's happened. 
As followers of Jesus, we want to have correct thinking about it for our own lives and the lives of those we come alongside wherever we are. We want to be aligned with Christ and our experience of it in the depths of our souls where his spirit resides. Paul said he wanted to know Christ and participate fully in the sufferings of his Lord. So may that be our prayer as we study this passage today. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you are sharing Christ's sufferings so that you may also be glad and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory, which is the spirit of God, is resting on you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, a criminal, or even as a mischief maker. Yet if any of you suffers as a Christian, do not consider it a disgrace, but glorify God because you bear this name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with the household of God. If it begins with us, what will be the end for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those suffering in accordance with God's will entrust their lives to a faithful creator while continuing to do good. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word that teaches us how to live. And as we ponder this passage, we ask you to open our hearts and minds to hear your word to us. May your truth affect how we live. Amen. Today we're going to briefly look at five ideas from Peter in this passage as we learn what he says about suffering. Let us pay attention to what the Spirit of God is saying to us about the reality that we find ourselves in today. The first thing that Peter says in verse 12 is that we shouldn't be surprised at suffering. Don't be surprised, he says. Suffering is unavoidable. Again, we're not sure to the extent that the Christians were suffering at this point, but calling it a fiery ordeal is strong imagery. Fire threatens to consume everything in its path. It singes us and destroys most of what it touches. Last week when we were in worship, I heard the children downstairs learning about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the book of Daniel. Those guys faced real fire for not bowing down to the king. And the Lord spared them when the flames were all around them. And not just spared them, but provided another to be in the oven with them. Isn't that a beautiful and terrifying picture of suffering? How Christ meets those who are obedient and stands with them in the hot seat Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wouldn't have been surprised about landing in the furnace because they were warned and they disobeyed the order. The surprising part might have been to them how God saved them. Here it says, don't be surprised as if something strange is happening to you. Peter is saying suffering is not strange. It is common, especially for the Christian Peter's telling them, change your frame of reference. Instead of thinking of suffering as never happening or not welcoming it or not wanting it, 
Take the strangeness out of it. Expect it, he says. The fiery ordeal, he says, is taking place to test them. Now, again, we might have different, different theologies about testing. Even if we don't believe that God causes suffering, we know he permits it. And suffering is a test of our faith. Our faith is stretched in the middle of the suffering. I read this week a commentator who said that Peter is writing to a largely Gentile audience for whom persecution would have been newer for them than their Jewish counterparts. So Peter had to teach them how and what to do with suffering, the suffering that they were going to have for following Jesus. If a Christian compromises or denounces their faith because of fiery ordeals, so the suffering might stop, then they fail the test, correct? Yeah. And then we think about Jesus in the wilderness with Satan, tested by temptation, hoping to hook Jesus' pride and control and fear. The enemy promises the world and a way out of suffering. This might be too hard for you, Jesus. I'm not really sure you need to do this. Take the easy way out. Following God is too hard. You don't have to do that. Eat the bread. Call on the angels. Trust another way. This isn't going to end well for you. What lies we can fall for to avoid the path that God has laid out for us. You see, the story about the temptation of Jesus isn't just a nice story for us to know something more about the Lord. It's meant to show us what we need to do when we are tested, when we are tempted beyond what we want in life. When we want to trust ourselves. Peter says it's not so strange. Suffering is normal. Even so, more for people of faith. Peter keeps reframing when he says in verse 13 that believers should rejoice in suffering. Don't just expect it, rejoice in it when it happens. This is an echo of Paul's exhortation to rejoice in all circumstances. And Peter gives three reasons why we should choose joy in suffering. One is because it's a sharing in what Christ endured on the cross. Two, he says, because through suffering, God's glory is revealed. And third, we are blessed. We are blessed when we are reviled for the name of Christ because it means that the spirit of glory, the spirit of God is resting on us. Did you see that in the scripture? So we need to stop here for a moment because this is holy ground. When you are insulted for Jesus' sake, God's Glory is upon you. I need you to think about that. God stays close to the ones who stay close to him. Again, the good word Bishop Lohara spoke to us about the glory comes back for the second week in a row. Last week, we talked about how people are attracted to the presence of God in us. They long to know God, and so for some reason, they come to us. It isn't about us. We talked about that. They want to spend time with us. It's because they're attracted to the Lord. But Peter says the opposite is also true. 
People are going to be repulsed by you when you have God's spirit active and alive in your life. In the show The Chosen, they have this scene where this poor soul is, is tormented and possessed by evil. And the demon recognizes one of Jesus' disciples. And they glare at them and sneer at them in disdain and say, Ooh, you stink. You smell just like Jesus. Ooh. It's powerful. Sometimes we try to skate the line and not get too close to being hated. We're careful about how much we identify with God and with the church. We want to fit in and not be too different than the world around us. But as the days get closer to Christ's return, we have to decide who we are because there is much more to life than here. There's a whole realm that we cannot ignore. God's spirit in us makes people uncomfortable and angry and reactive. And what do you do with that? One idea I would offer is know who you are. Embrace the spirit in you. Be confident. Recognize God's greatness and rest. Rest under the weight of God's presence on your life. Paul's next point in 15 is how suffering should not be a result of our sin. So I want to say I agree with this, and also I'd like to offer a contrary observation to the apostle. I don't usually do that, but I'm going to do that today. One of the reasons God gives us injunctions about sin is because our wrongdoing harms us, because it causes us to suffer, and an inability to recognize this is foolish. God is holy and we are to obey him, but it is more than that. God tells us, choose life, choose life and not death. There are choices we make that lead to suffering, that lead to death, that cause others to suffer. Peter simply says, make a different choice. Don't suffer because you are doing wrong because of your sin. For my contrary observation, I would also say, though, that it is often in this kind of suffering when we have made poor choices that we are brought closer to the Lord. We are humbled and brought low, and we receive grace and forgiveness that we don't receive, but so, so much need. Should we sin so that we can experience more of God's love? No. But our merciful Lord will meet us even in our foolishness and pride. Thanks be to God. If you're tracking, we're on verse 16, where Peter tells the church it's not a disgrace to suffer as a Christian. The world that they lived in at that time, suffering was wrong. It was foolish. It was, it was um, shameful. And Christians felt that very deeply. And Peter said, don't be ashamed. I would say to you, don't be ashamed to be a follower of Jesus, no matter how awful the church is portrayed as sanctimonious and hateful and anti-intellectual. It's easy to feel shame. It's easy to feel shame when those hard words come. But those are not from the Lord. Conviction of the Holy Spirit is different than the false guilt and the identity that the world wants to put on the church. We have to know the difference. 
Verse 17 and 18 bring together an interesting point in Peter's theology of suffering. Just as we are to reject what the world thinks about us, Peter is saying that the persecution of the faithful is a judgment from the Lord. The early church held the belief that when the judgment came, that the church would be the first ones in line. In 1 Corinthians 11.32, it says, When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. It is hoped that the suffering will cause people to cling to God more. We see that today. Persecution causes people to trust God more, not less. But this idea also reminds us about the prevailing sentiment about how people love or like or admire Jesus but can't stand his people. And we hear this a lot. And we know that the church and even this local congregation have turned people away. Not turned people away, but, you know, um, people felt not loved or something by us. You know what I mean by that. We didn't turn away on purpose, but somehow for whatever reason... People who might have trusted God have turned away. And that situation might be fine just for us to lament and leave on the table, but we can't do that. If this world is all there is, then fine. But that's not the case. We're all going to stand in the judgment line, and those who can't stand the church will be glad to know that Christians are going first. But Peter's allusion to Proverbs 11 is rather heartbreaking. If it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So let us keep doing all that we can to live with integrity, to love others, to give the olive branch, to say we're sorry. How can we be a better friend and a better witness to the one true God? So here are the five theological ideas from Peter about suffering that we just talked about, which serve as a positive frame for the church. Don't be surprised at suffering. Expect it. Rejoice in suffering as you get to share what Jesus experienced on earth. Being insulted for Christ means that his very presence is resting on you. People see that and will target you. It's not a disgrace to suffer as a Christian because it's a chance to glorify God and be glad when suffering gets you more ready to meet Christ on the day of judgment. Now, verse 19 ties everything together. Therefore, let those suffering in accordance with God's will entrust their lives to a faithful creator while continuing to do good. Peter's prayer is that the church would suffer in doing God's will, in doing good. This is an encouraging message for those who are hated and abused and rejected and humiliated and killed for following Jesus. William Barclay tells us that the word entrust in verse 19 is paratithesi, which means depositing money with a trusted friend. In Peter's day, there were no banks. Very few places where people could store their money safely. So before someone went on a journey, they would leave their funds in the safekeeping of a friend. And such a trust was regarded as a sacred act. And the friend was bound by honor to return exactly what was given to them when the person came back. And this word, paratithesi, is the same word used by Jesus on the cross. When he says, 
Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. So think about that. In the middle of suffering on our behalf, Jesus entrusted again his whole self to God. What a beautiful expression of trust. Father, all I have is yours. And all I have left right now is my soul. And I give that to you. I entrust that to you again, knowing that you are going to return so much to me. This is what Peter is hoping for, for the church. For those who follow Jesus, that we would do so with great trust until we meet him face to face. We have given our life, which is a treasure to us. We have entrusted our life to our faithful God. We believe Jesus holds our life steadfast and stands with us in the fire that we face. He preserves the souls of those who are surrendered to him. So this morning, I want to ask you again, what is your theology of suffering? Once we understand why suffering happens or kind of get it in our head, can we accept it more? Does fighting against suffering make it worse? Peter's hope here is to soften the blow of what the Christians were undergoing and encourage their hearts because it was going to amp up. He wanted to encourage their hearts because it's the heart that matters the most in the suffering that we have. The psalmist cries out how God is near to the brokenhearted and those who are crushed in spirit. And Peter is hoping that the church won't just accept suffering, but that their lives will reflect that they have entrusted all that they are to the Lord. May that be true of us as well. Let us pray. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.